and also it in Acts. And uh, we'll look at Philippians, and then and we'll start in Acts. And uh, a few months ago, we did a uh, we did a um, I did a series. I did a uh, a series with our teenagers, and we went through the book of Philippians, and we kind of went verse by verse uh, through Philippians, and um, and. It was, it was awesome. We had a great time. Uh, one thing I noticed about Philippians, I never noticed before, and I guess maybe because I'm a missionary now, right? Uh, but I noticed it, how missional it is. It's a very missional book. It speaks a lot about missions. Uh, really what it is, in my opinion, it's somewhat of what a modern-day missionary letter would look like, right? Like as a missionary, uh, one thing we do is we write letters. We want to communicate with our churches, with our uh, people, people that are following us. And so uh, that's what Paul is doing here. Paul is a missionary. Uh, the Philippian church was a strong supporting church of his. Uh, we'll see later how strong actually they were. And uh, they're a strong supporting church. And, uh, and so he is writing back to them. He's encouraging them. He's updating them. He's kind of giving them some things that's going on in his life. And, uh, and so we see that. And uh, we're going to look at some verses of Philippians tonight, but first I want to look at how the book uh, or the, ch the church of Philippi was started. And so look at Acts chapter 16. We'll look at Acts chapter 16 in verse 9 and 10, and we'll see how this church was started. And uh, so we see here, all right, Acts chapter 16, verse 9 and 10. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Verse 12, And from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony, and, a, and we were in that city abiding certain days. So the first thing I want to point out, I want us to notice, we always need to understand, when we're in the Christian life, anytime we're doing anything for God, whether we're a missionary like Paul, like myself, whether we're a pastor like your pastor here, uh, whether you just, you're a church member, a Sunday school teacher, a youth pastor, a, whatever you do in the church, whatever you're doing for God, our number one reason, our number one uh, reason that we do what we do ought to always be because it's what God wants us to do, right? Your pastor is here your, as your pastor, right? And I, I, feel, I believe he's, he's kind of new, right? He's been here. And he's here because God led him here. God told him to come here. Paul went to speak or to start this church at Philippi because God told him to. And uh, one thing my wife and I are very thankful for in our life is we've always felt uh, God's always been so good to us. He's always been so kind to us. And uh, in one area, we've always felt just a solid sense of belonging. We've just always felt a solid sense of just we were doing what he wanted us to do, you know? We never had a question like, God, what's going on? Like, is this really what we're supposed to be doing? Are we just spinning our wheels? Are we wasting our time? Like, what's going on? Uh, we've never felt that way. We've always felt like he put us right where he wants us to be. And uh, we were thinking about that. And just to testify a little bit, uh, we feel that way in three big areas. Uh, first, foremost, for, first foremost is coming to Nebraska. 
And uh, man, I remember in college, I always, always worried about where we were going to go and where we were going to serve. Man, I, I had friends that went to churches and they had some stories about just some crazy things happening, you know, when they went to, you know, this church. And I was worried and my pastor said, he said, God's going to put you right where you belong. And I'll tell you, 100% that's the truth. And uh, God has been so good to us uh, in Plasmouth. And uh, I remember when I got off the phone with our pastor, and I said, yeah, we'll come out and interview, you know, to, to come out there. And I got off the phone, I told my wife, I said, I think we're going to go interview and look at a church in Nebraska. And she said, where is that? Where is Nebraska? I mean, we were only living in Illinois, but I guess it seemed like the other side of the world or something. I don't know. But uh, turns out it's the good life, right? And so we have... Uh, I say that in other states, and they don't, they don't quite understand what I'm talking about. But it is the good life, that's for sure. And, uh, but I'll tell you, um, you know, in that picture earlier, there's a boy named Noah. He's a junior in high school. And just a few weeks ago, he showed me a picture of a Bible that I gave him when he was just a, a newborn in the hospital. And God has just been so good to us of giving us friends and relationships uh, and these young people that we've been able to be a part of their lives for 22 years. Uh, the next thing, really, that God led in in our life, about seven years ago, uh, there's two boys in our church, and they're good boys. Uh, they were in the foster care system. Uh, they were in foster care for about five years, and uh, they're good boys. Uh, and they started coming to our church. We had a bus that picked them up, and uh, they came faithfully to church. Uh, they went to camp. They were very involved. And uh, our church loved them. They loved the church. And the state was kind of doing, just kind of doing some things with them. They were trying to find them an adoption home. They were talking about moving them out of the state. They were talking about, they were trying to put up, they put them in a couple homes that just weren't good fits for them. And, uh, you know, we were all praying about it and concerned for these guys. And uh, I, I said one day to someone, and we were just chit-chatting, and I said, Somebody, these are good boys, like this, these boys should not be being messed with like this. I said, somebody in the church ought to adopt these boys. And be careful when you say that someone ought to do something. And so, because uh, that someone might be you. And sure enough, it was us, and God put it on our heart. You saw them in the picture earlier. And uh, seven years now, uh, they've been our boys. And I'll tell you, at the time, we might have questioned we might have wondered, like, God, are you, are you sure this is what you want us to do? Adopt teenage boys. Like, yeah, that's, um, yeah, are you sure about that? And uh, I'll tell you what, now, looking back, uh, no question, no question. And, you know, just as much as God, we feel, just as much as God led us to Nebraska, and God led us to adopt our boys, we feel God's leading us to Portugal. And some people think, oh, man, this is crazy, like, you know, we sold our house this summer. Uh, we're getting ready. And, I mean, it's just crazy, right? And, uh, but it's not crazy when you're doing what God wants you to do. And we ought to always want to do what God wants us to. So we look back at our story in Acts chapter 16, verse 25. Let's pick up at 25. So what happens is Paul gets there. Things start off well. He starts off, uh, it starts off good. He wins this lady. Her name is Lydia. Uh, she's kind of an influential person in the community. Uh, and she gets saved, right? And so that's good. And then next thing you know, kind of classic Paul style, he gets in a little bit of trouble, right? And uh, this uh, lady that is demon-possessed, uh, 
uh, is following them. He has a burden for her. So he cast this demon out in Jesus' name. And her everybody's happy except for her employers because they made a lot of money on her. And so they, they, they're mad. They raise some ruckus. And they end up getting Paul and Silas beaten and thrown into jail. So they're in jail. And we're going to pick up and see what they do. What I want to point out, what they don't do, what we don't see them doing, we don't see them complaining. We don't see them questioning. Uh, we don't see them saying, God, like, what, what's going on? You know, like, you told us to come here. We're just trying to do what you want us to do. We're just trying to tell people about Jesus. We're just trying to be good. And now we're in jail. Like, what's up with that, you know? We don't see that. Instead, verse 25 in chapter 16, we see this. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. And through this, Paul has an opportunity now. Uh, he ends up leading that Philippian jailer. He ends up getting saved. He, ta he takes him to his house. The, his entire family gets saved, right? And that, that's the start of the Philippian church. And so now you fast forward many, 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 many years, decades, and now we have the book of Philippians. And so through those years, they have cultivated this beautiful relationship. Uh, the book of Philippians is a wonderful book. You don't, see, you don't see a lot of negativity, if any, in the book of Philippians. You don't see him like correcting problems. You read through Corinthians, that's a whole other story, right? Like they had issues, okay? You don't see that in Philippians. Philippians is an encouragement book. It's a joyful book. And, uh, and so you see uh, Paul just having a, a good relationship with these people, right? So look back at Philippians. And I want to look at just a few verses, okay? We'll start in chapter 1 and verse 5. And I love this. Uh, chapter 1, verse 5. It says this, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And I want, it's always good to remember uh, that how powerful the gospel is. And, you know, it's amazing as I travel and we've, we've actually had a good time uh, on deputation so far. Uh, talk to us in a year. We might not be as happy as we are now. I don't know. But uh, We've enjoyed it. We've, our favorite part has been meeting, just meeting churches and meeting church people and just some of the just greatest, neatest people uh, that we've met. And you know what's amazing? We could go into a church and we've never met them. We've never met the pastor. I mean, we don't know them from Adam, right? And almost immediately, it's like we have this connection. We have this bond. And you know why that is? Because we do have a connection. We are connected through the gospel. We have the gospel in common. And, you know, be careful as a church. Because sometimes it can be easy to lose sight of the gospel. And we can get distracted. And we see other things that become important than the gospel. And so the gospel connects us. The gospel uh, binds us. Look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. He says this, And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. So we see Paul bring attention to this concept of love. And, you know, 
um, I've seen a lot of motivators in life. Okay, uh, I've worked with sports for 20-something years in my life with our sports program. And sports is motivating, right? Sports will motivate us. Uh, a challenge. I mean, if I had a jar up here that I couldn't open, I'd have a line of guys and maybe some women like, give me that jar, I'll open it, right? Like, we're just, we're motivated by a challenge and we, that'll motivate us. Fear, fear is a motivator. I think about me and, and a child, as a child, and my relationship with my parents, okay? And uh, man, I wish I could say I was a perfect angel. I was not. I was not a perfect angel. I am now. I'm, I'm nearly perfect. My wife could tell you <laughs> that I'm not. <laughs> but, you know, when I was a child, I, did, I honestly tried to obey. I did. I wanted to obey my parents. And you know why I wanted to obey? Because I knew that if I did not obey, that something bad was going to happen. Okay? It was not going to be a good day in my life. Because, okay, so I wanted to obey. But you know what's amazing? As my relationship with my parents grew, as I grew, as my maturity grew, as my love for my parents grew, that desire to obey, that desire to respect them, that desire to honor them changed from having to because I was afraid to wanting to because I loved them. And you know, that's what our Christian life is. And that's what this relationship with Christ is. Our greatest motivator ought to be our love for him, our love for uh, God, our love for Jesus, our love for church, uh, for the Bible. Uh, I like to tell this cute little story. Uh, oh, a few years ago, we were kind of purging, going through the house. We, we, we were in the storage room, and we were kind of going through some things. And we had to go to run some errands, probably go to Menards or something, right? So my wife and I left to run some errands. We came back. And while we were gone, our four teenage sons, uh, one of them, I'm not sure who, no one fesses up to it, but one of them found this popcorn tin uh, that we had in our storage. And it was this popcorn, like at Christmas time, you get those popcorn tins. And uh, he found this popcorn tin. And inside that popcorn tin was every love letter that I ever wrote to my wife while we were dating in college. And listen... There's not very many more embarrassing moments in life than coming home and finding your four teenage sons reading the love letters that you wrote to your wife in college. I mean, they are on the ground. They're laughing. I mean, I, I don't know how long it's been going on. But long, I mean, they had these letters out. I mean, they are, they're like crying with tears falling down their face. Uh, they're, mock, they're, like mock, they're reading them one to another, like mocking me, like, oh, Marianne, your eyes sparkle, you know, oh, all that ooshy-gooshy, right? And, uh, and, and here's the deal. Here's the deal with those love letters, right? I did not have to write those. She didn't have to read them. She definitely didn't need to keep them, okay? But she did, and I wrote them, and I did. Because I wanted her. I, want, I didn't have to write those. I wanted her to know how I felt. She wanted to read them. She wanted to know how I felt. She wanted to keep them and cherish them, right? Because we wanted to because of love. And that's what this is. This is the Bible. This is God's love letter to us. And we should, man, it, I, I've been there. I'll, I'll be honest. 
I've been there where I felt obligated and I felt like, oh man, I better get up in the morning and read my Bible. Check. Oh, I better pray. Check. Oh, it's Sunday. Got to go to church. You know, and man, I'll tell you, it ought not be like that. We ought to have a desire to want to read God's word, to want to talk to him, to want to walk in his fellowship, to want to go to church, to be around his people and hear a message from his word. And that love ought to drive us. All right, let's move on. Let's look at chapter 2 and verse 17. This is a great uh, missional principle that I want to point out tonight. Since we're talking about missions, okay? Uh, in, in chapter 2, verse 17, uh, we see this. Paul says this. He says, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice in service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. And so Paul is explaining. He's talking to these folks. And he's explaining to them, he understands that for them to be a Christian, it's going to take sacrifice, okay? If you know much about early New Testament Christianity, it was very hard to be a Christian. It was very, uh, they were being persecuted. Uh, they, were, they were very brutal to the Christians in these early days, okay? And it was hard to be a Christian. It took sacrifice, true sacrifice. And so he's, he's, he recognizes that. He also recognizes that for them to be, to, for them to partner with him, for them to support him as a missionary, that it took sacrifice. And he's thanking them. He's thanking them. Thank you for your sacrifice. Because because of them, he was able to do what, he, what God called him to do. Because of them, he was able to reach people all around the world and, uh, and tell people about Jesus uh, because of their sacrifice. And so he's thankful for that, and he appreciates that. But I want you to look at verse 18. I want you to look at verse 18, because this is very interesting. He says this, For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. So he is telling them, you're sacrificing, and your sacrificing does help me, and I'm appreciative. Thank you for that. But he's also recognizing He's telling them something that's kind of different than what the world would say. Kind of different than what our own minds would say. He's saying, not only did you make me happy, but you were happy by sacrificing. And the world would say, to be happy, to have joy in your life, you need to have more things, right? We need to keep, we need to get, and we need to have. We need to have a nicer phone, we need to have a newer car, we need to have, have a bigger TV. We need all this stuff to make us happy. And Paul is saying the exact opposite. He is saying to have true joy, to have true happiness, you need to give, not get, right? And we need to sacrifice. And this is cool. I like to uh, travel with this. Uh, this is a great illustration of this. This is very special to us. Uh, this is our very first love offering that we ever received. And uh, we, were at a, we were at a church, actually Fremont, Nebraska, uh, back in March. Uh, my son and I, we went on a missions trip with his school. We were down in Honduras. We got back late Tuesday night. They had their missions conference going on. So we went up on Wednesday, and uh, my wife and I, and we presented our ministry, and we sat through an international dinner, and we had this dinner. And after the dinner, this little girl, her name was Grace, and uh, she came up, and nine-year-old girl Grace, she gave us this jar of money and we've not counted it uh, there's a 20 in there there's some fives there's some ones I don't know how much is in here but I do know 
that there's sacrifice, that there's a lot of things she could have bought with this jar. And she chose instead to sacrifice it, to give that to us as a missionary. And I think God did that for me um, for a reason. Uh, it was very moving, honestly. It was very humbling. But it helped me understand, you know, missions is not, it's not this big business empire, right? For us to go to Portugal and for us to do what we feel God wants us to do, it's going to take sacrifice from God's sweet, sweet people, from his little children to his older big children, and everyone is going to sacrifice. And it, it was big to me because I better, I better do right, right? I better be a good steward of this sacrifice. I better, uh, you know, use that uh, to the best of our ability to reach people for him. But, you know, uh, we have a picture of this. Uh, you can find it on our website, too. But we have a picture of this, and if you look at the picture, uh, you'll see this little grace she has the biggest smile you'll ever see. She was not sad to give us this money. She was not being forced. She was not begrudgingly giving it to us. She was happier than we were. And we were getting it, but she was happier to give it. And you know, when we sacrifice and we give to God, we give to God's work, uh, we have joy. We have joy in our life. All right? Let's, uh, I want to, we'll, we'll move. I'll be done here real soon. Let's move to chapter 4 and verse 15. He says this, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. And this is fascinating. And I said, you know, how important the Philippian church was to him. But at one point in his ministry, they were the only church that was helping him. And so it really was a matter of life or death, right? And, you know, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, be careful to ever think that someone else will do it, right? It can be easy to think that. Here's the deal. I'm going to Portugal as a missionary, right? But I'm not the only missionary in this room, okay? And I found out we, have, we do actually have a real missionary in the room too, okay? But you know what? Him and I are not the only missionaries in the room. You're a missionary. And you may not be a missionary to Portugal or to Israel, but you're a missionary in Norfolk, Nebraska, you're a missionary on your street. You're a missionary in your school, in your workplace. This week, we're going to all be missionaries to family, right? And uh, man, my, for years, my mom's side of the family has a tradition that we all get together at my Aunt Norma's. And I don't know, there will probably be 50 or 60 of us down there. And they are not all the easiest people to get along with, okay? They are not all perfect angels like I am, okay? If they were all like me, it would be, they would be great, but... I'm just kidding. It's probably a good thing they're not all like me. But, you know, God's called us to reach those. God's given us a circle of influence that no one else has. And we can say, oh, my neighbor, somebody else will tell them about Jesus. Somebody else can invite them to church. And that's true. But what if they don't? What if they don't? What if no one else tells your coworker about Christ? And so we need to all be reaching the ones that God's put in our life. The next verse, chapter, or verse 16 and 17, says, For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. And this is another great missional philosophy, that when you give to missions, when you support a missionary, when you support a pastor, church work, you are helping to reach people all around the world. 
And Paul is explaining to them that one day they're going to get to heaven. And he was the boots on the ground, right? He was the one traveling. He was the one going all over the world telling people about Jesus. But the truth is, when they got to heaven, they saw people, they probably met people from all over the world that was saved because of them. Not just because of Paul, but because they partnered with Paul. He was the boots on the ground, but they were that silent partner back at home, just helping him to do what he was called to do. And then lastly, let's look at verse 23, and I'll be done. I love the way he ends this chapter. I love the way he ends this book. Probably the greatest thing he could say to these sweet, persecuted people is verse 23. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. You know, I did a, we did a series in our Sunday school class last year on grace. And uh, I've studied grace before. I've heard preaching on grace. I've read books on grace. The thing that popped out to me, that stuck out to me more than ever before, was that grace is not just our ticket to heaven. Okay? Now it is. It is our ticket to heaven. Okay? So don't get me wrong. Don't tell your pastor that I said grace is not how we get to heaven. Okay? Uh, grace is how we get to heaven. For by grace are you saved through faith, right? So it is. And if you're here tonight and you've never had a time where you've accepted that grace of Jesus in your life, this church would rejoice greatly if you were to receive that gift, if you were to trust Christ as your Savior. And I encourage you to do that. But if you're here tonight and you have received that grace in your life, you know that grace is not just our ticket to heaven. It is so much more in our life it's that uh pair or that uh, fixed relationship our relationship with god was separated it was uh, uh our relationship with jesus was not perfect and grace gave us that perfect relationship with god it gave us our relation it restored our relationship with jesus it gives us that ability to talk to god i mean the idea there's a lot of important people in the world right that i will never be able to talk to but the God that made those important people, the God that made this world, I could talk to him anytime I want. And that's because of grace. Grace gives us the Holy Spirit that uh, comforts us, that guides us, that directs us, that convicts us. And that's all through grace. So tonight, lots of things to think about. Uh, maybe we need to uh, improve our love for God, our love for others. Uh, maybe we need to have the right spirit in our giving. Uh, maybe we need to simply work on our relationship with God and be thankful for the grace that he's given us in our life. And uh, we'll pray tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you, for, thank you for this church. Thank you for their heart to come to church tonight and uh, to hear your, uh, when their preacher's out of town, but here they are.